almighty God and creator of this vast universe, and yet Father heart that is touched by our poor prayer, we come into your presence with awe, with wonder, and yet with childlike confidence purchased by the blood of your Son. Father, we don't deserve this, and we give you praise for even being willing to hear our poor prayer. Father, we want to thank you for hearing our prayers. We're very thankful for your work in Lily, and we just uh, praise you for your healing touch, and we pray that you would finish the work that you have begun in her body and in her soul. Lord, that she would be completely healed um, for the long term and that she would also know you and know the peace that she can only find in you. Pray for her daughter, Sophie, who's going through a lot during this process as well, that you would comfort and draw her closer to yourself. Father, you know there are many needs in our midst that we can mention by name, and we are, you know, the hurts, you know, the the health challenges that some are facing, you know, the um, challenges of old age and isolation as some are unable to, to um, fellowship with us. Father, we pray for them, for encouragement. We know the, the challenges of, of those who are running away from your word, who have heard the truth but are, are resisting it and distracting themselves, and yet as the one who walked through closed doors, you can even make yourself known to them. Your love would continue to pursue them and draw them despite the distraction they surround themselves with. Father, we are pray for each one of us that we could be spoken to this morning as we hear your word. You know the weakness of this vessel of clay, and so we pray that it would be your spirit that would speak your words and your work in each one of our hearts, that you would be the one glorified, not only by what is said, but how it is applied in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As was uh, mentioned, we're studying the Sermon on the Mount together, and I thought it might be appropriate to, uh, to read uh, from uh, Matthew. Uh, we'll be covering a lot of ground, so I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we would uh, start from Matthew chapter 5. Maybe we'll begin to, to read from uh, verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith it shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am, come, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Racha, or worthless one, shall be in danger of the council, 
but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee that thou shalt by no means come out thence until thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whoever shall marry her that is divorced, committed adultery. For again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the, thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whoever shall, soever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust." For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel down to pray. Dear Father in heaven, as we bow before thee to offer up our prayer unto thee as part of this gathering, as part of this worship, dear Father, we realize that the reason, the purpose for this gathering is thee. It's not man, it's not to hear the words of, of, of people, it's not even to see other people, though that's very encouraging and it's, it's wonderful to be gathered together and to see faces we haven't seen for a while. Dear Father, we know the, the real purpose and the real reason for our gathering here is to meet Thee, is to be assembled before Thee so that Thou wouldst search our hearts, so that Thy Spirit would be manifested in a special way that is not the same as when we are apart and alone. So, dear Father, we pray that Thy Spirit would be present that our supplication this morning hour to thee would be heard that thou would be here in a special way dear father we thank thee so much for jesus christ we thank thee so much for what he has done and we realize now as we read the words that he spoke two thousand years ago they come from the same father heart that created this whole world and that even gave the law on in, in the old testament and 
Dear Father, we realize it has been thy intent all along that mankind would love thee with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind and with all his strength. And we know equally that we are unable to do this, that we fall short, we fail in so many ways, except for Jesus Christ. Had it not been for him, it would all be hopeless. But dear Father, we realize through him, through what he has done, through the love that you have poured out through him to us, we are able, dear Father. We can have a righteousness, a righteousness from Jesus Christ that exceeds the righteousness that is found in this world, the, the man standards, the things that we think are good enough and that we take pride and pleasure in, that we think we've achieved, dear Father. No, we can truly please the Father heart through the love of Jesus as we give ourselves, as we bow before that power of love. Dear Father, this morning we pray that thy word would be unfettered, that we would not be constrained within our own hearts to resist that word in, in one way or other, to deflect it maybe, to, to think of others, to, um, to think it doesn't apply to us, to be distracted. Dear Father, help us not to be constrained in our own hearts, but to be open to the one whose heart is open towards us. Dear Father, this morning hour we pray for not only this brother here that proclaims thy word, but all those in every place, dear Father, that proclaim it in weakness, in, in, as vessels of clay. Dear Father, it is thy delight to do this. It is thy plan of salvation to do this, to proclaim salvation through vessels of clay. And so, dear Father, we will glory in this too. Help us to do that even this morning hour. Not to look to man, but to look to the one who fills us, the one who enables, and the one who gives the power. Dear Father, we pray for those that are uh, continue to be apart from us for, for many different reasons, for health, for old age, for bondage, dear Father, because there are too many excuses and things are too easy to, uh, to not uh, assemble. Dear Father, be with them. Be with them in a special way. Give them the prompting, the, the quiet prompting of thy Holy Spirit, both to comfort, to strengthen if they are alone and cannot be with us, and if they could be with us, if the way was open, if it is possible, and they are resisting. Dear Father, we pray for those that have not thought of thee for many years, perhaps, or don't even admit to themselves. Quickly push away those thoughts when they come. Don't want to think about what they've heard when they were young. Dear Father, be with them to this morning hour. Help them to realize there is a path of life that is so different from the path that they have trod for these many years. There is a path of life that our Savior proclaimed on the Sermon on the Mount, a path that is so radically different, that is so freeing, that is so glorious, and that it is only accessible through faith. And this is the beauty of it, dear Father, that anyone, whosoever will, may come. Dear Father, we pray that that gospel would be proclaimed this morning in all corners of the earth. Whosoever will may come, and that many would come and respond. Dear Father, we pray for those that are sick in our midst and that have conditions, chronic conditions, uh, that, are, that are a long-term burden. Dear Father, be with them. Help them to see the road is indeed short, that life is indeed brief, and that it, it will be worth it all in the final summation. We pray for those at the beginning of their lives that are already suffering under heavy burdens. We think of little Jacob Weinhardt. We pray for him. We pray for his family. We pray for healing for him, dear Father. We pray that the results of the MRI in September would be positive. Um, but dear Father, we commit his life, as we know it already is, into thy hands, as we commit all our lives into thy hands this morning hour. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters and friends, this, uh, what we've read to today is the, the beginning, the one chapter of three, and perhaps we can quickly overview the others, which is why I'm asking you to keep your, your Bibles open, where we read the manifesto, if you will, the, 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 where Jesus kind of distills 
his radical teaching. And, and perhaps I remember uh, memorizing many of these words in Sunday school and perhaps therefore they, they are dulled to, to my sense of wonder of how incredibly different Jesus was than any other voice or any other teaching. You remember the, the point where the, the uh, temple leaders were trying, sending the, the guards to arrest him and, and, and they came back without having done so. He says, why didn't you do what we told you to do? And he said, never man spoke as this man. They were just, they were arrested by the power of the truth of Jesus' words. The, the context, you, you could see that um, as a, this is not a political manifest, this doe, this is not a, a rally, a call to arms, as we see so many you know, reactions in our day where people are feeling the sense of injustice um, and, and are using anger to, to come up with some sort of a, a platform, you know, that this is horrible what we're going through, we need to follow X, Y, and Z to, to lead our way uh, and, and uh, to oppose uh, the oppressive power against us. There was oppressive power here. In, in the context, Jesus is in Palestine, in uh, Judea, and uh, the Romans had... had uh, taking control of that area of the world. They had been putting down an oppressive tax system, a uh, tax system that was enabled by certain traitors within the Jews' myths, uh, referred to here a couple times as publicans, uh, those who, for greed of money, you know, were the arm of, of the Romans in collecting taxes because they knew who was who, and they, of course, skimmed off the top for themselves. And, so there, there was lots of injustice, there was a violence, there was, you know, we also read here about being forced to take a, a burden one mile, that was because the Roman law that if you, that any Roman soldier could pick any random person who's going about their day and say, you have to carry my burdens with me one, one mile. And, and so there was a lot of, you know, interruption, injustice. I mean, if we complain about the things we endure, uh, we, we have no leg to stand on compared to what it was like in Roman-ruled uh, Judea. But Jesus doesn't really address that, or if he addresses that, he addresses it in a way that's completely opposed to the, the Sicarios, the, uh, the zealots who are in, you know, banding together to throw off uh, Roman rule by, by force of arms. Uh, the other side, you've got uh, religion. There was, there was different religious groups. There was those who had kind of compromised with Roman rule and, you know, out of greed and jostling for power. Uh, the Sadducees who had kind of abandoned the truth of God's word uh, in order to be in with the political powers of the day. We see that in churches today where people compromise on biblical principles about human sexuality, etc., in order to not be opposed. And who knows how long we're going to keep our charitable status if we continue to preach the truth. Uh, but you know, we saw that back in that day, unchanged. The Sadducees had gone with the political climate, whereas, you know, there was others and the Pharisees, they were the, the, the good guys who were into the word of God. The scribes, as we're, they're referenced here, and, and you know, when I read the Bible for myself as a young man, it's like, oh, the Pharisees, they're always the one that Jesus is attacking, but when you read the history, they were the good guys in that they were into the Word of God and studying it and applying it, and, and of course, they would overanalyze it, and they got their ego involved, and, you know, it was a lot of, you know, them getting a certain you know, I'm better than you because I follow this rule, you know, which I've made harder, so hard that nobody can follow. So there was a lot of religious, there was original design, original, um, I don't want to lose you here, the Old Testament, we have God's um, speaking to the Jewish people, giving them um, his guidance in the form of the law. Some people take law as oppression, but it was actually liberating them and helping them to have a system of justice and morality that helped them as a culture uh, to do so much better because it was 
in line with God's character. And so the question is here, Jesus, you've got this fresh new message. You know, what do you think about Roman oppression? Because we hope that you're going to, you know, kick them out of the country and set us free because that's what we really care about, what's relevant to our immediate lives. What do you think about the law? Because you seem to have this different message. And uh, we read here a different message, but it's not one that contradicts either the authorities of the day, the secular authorities, nor does it contradict the religious authorities, but yet it's completely different than both of them. Neither does it compromise with them. Now, how does Jesus go about not compromising with the pressure of authority while giving a radical new um, understanding of God's heart? We open, we didn't read together, but we studied together, those who were here on Wednesdays, about how to be happy. Certainly a focus of today's day and age, how to be happy. And yet, Jesus' uh, characteristics, he says, blessed, I mean, God's favor, you know, happy are those who have these characteristics. They're completely opposite what uh, you would get from your self-help uh, and, and uh, psycho psychological authorities today. You know, it's no blessed are those that have self-confidence and, 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 you know, who actualize their worth and feel that they are, you know. Instead, it's completely opposite. It's blessed are those that are poor that recognize their failings, that recognize they fall short of God, that, that grieve the fact that they are falling short of God, that hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, who want something so bad that they're, that's, it's, it's more important to them than even the physical hunger that drives them. They really want uh, God's righteousness. And they, they, they recognize how merciful God has been to them and they no longer hang on to uh, the hurts that have happened to them and their need to get justice and, 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 and get people to apologize who have hurt them or get them to pay. They recognize they have been get, received undeserved mercy at the hands of God and they are merciful to others. They are pure in their um, devotion to God. They're, there's, they're not, there's no hidden agenda. There's no uh, um, you know, front that they are behind. Uh, there's integrity and uh, they, their motives are sincere and pure and they works out with how they impact the world that they are bringing and making peace between men and yet Though they are the peacemakers, they'll be seen as troublemakers, just like Jesus was. And they were, they're going to be persecuted, and that's a good thing. What? It's going to be a good thing. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. That... Uh, they will be seen as a threat to both secular power and religious power, and they will be persecuted as a result. But yet they stand true to God, and they are, as a result, going to receive God's blessing. They take this long-term view. So we see Jesus throwing off external trappings of power of human power, whether it be through the force of arms, through the force of uh, a political authority. He's throwing off the trappings of power, even for those who say, I deserve respect and honor because of my relationship to God, because of, uh, of my religious observances, because I am doing all these things that make me better than other people, even religious formalism he rejects and rather if we read the whole book and, and uh, the whole message here and we're going to try to it's going to take us probably a number of weeks to get into depth and in all these things but just to take the 10,000 foot view here God is interested in your heart God is interested in 
your relationship with you that is sincere and that isn't there's no gaming of the system there's no manipulation there's no there's not like there's something in it for you it's something where you love God and he loves you and you're willing to do what's right no matter what the cost is and you're willing to be true so we've talked about this entrance of humility of repentance of uh, of recognizing our need and desiring this change now this next section if you look down where we read together matthew 5 we start off with a little preamble here about salt and light that you are the salt and yet even in that um, praise in that positive analogy that you have this ability to be a source of blessing a source of illumination a source of healing and preservation to your culture even in that, there's a warning saying, but beware. It's possible for you to have that purpose and for you to reject that purpose. For you, for the sake of convenience and pride and, and comfort, to take that light and put it under a bushel. To take that salt and lose its impact. And at that point, you're useless. A light under the bushel serves nothing. Salt that has lost its, its savor, it's, it, it is just, it's, it's worse than nothing. You can't even use it. Uh, it's only good to throw on, on the path because it can't be used for anything. It's corrosive but has no power, positive power. And that immediately proceeds his talk about religious authority. And, and sadly, this is the route that most denominations, most people who start off sincerely seeking God, they come out, they start off with truth that they're on fire about, but then over time, they lose the core of the relationship with God and they focus on the fringe of the rules and they formalize that, enforce that, and they get lost in that. And so he says, look, I'm not here to go against what God has revealed to us in all the thousands of years till now. I'm not here to overturn the law that God has given Moses. In fact, whatever God says, you can, every little dot of the I, every crossing of the T, it's all going to be fulfilled. But yet, what you see as, you know, the true worship of God by even the most dedicated and faithful, that doesn't cut it with God. Because it's all about outside. It's about the externals. It's not about the heart. And if your righteousness, you, even though he's speaking to, to unlearned fishermen and bakers and whatever on, 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 the, on the mountainside here, he says, you've got to be better than the most the people who've dedicated their whole lives to the study of word of God and who, who, who you know, who uh, don't work for a living because all they do is focus on following every little jot and tittle. So they're saying, what? How in the world is it going to be possible for us to be holier than these holy people? But he says, unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you're not going to enter heaven. Well, I guess, what does that mean about these holy people? And uh, then he starts talking about God's true standards being so much higher, God's true standards of morality, because he says, you know, let your light so shine before men that they may say you're good worse. Well, what's good? Today, that's a big question. What is good? As men call evil good and good evil, uh, the whole question of morality, it's all relative, it's whatever you think. Well, not according to God. And in fact, he's saying, even though you see these holy people living unattainable lives, I'm going to raise the bar. Now, not that you have to follow all these traditions and man-made additions that they've put in, but let's look, let's go back and let's look at the God's intent when he spoke these basic principles about truly right lives. And... Uh, he starts off with this one about killing, right? I mean, if, if you talk to someone, you say, are you a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. I haven't killed anybody. Um, you know, that's, that's the number one universally held rule that we all acknowledge is bad to kill people. After all, we don't want to be killed. 
Um, but Jesus takes this rule about killing. He says, yeah, that, that's what the law said. It's in one of the Ten Commandments. You know, you should not kill. If you're killed, you kill, you shall be killed. In fact, that goes all the way back to, to, to the law that uh, Noah received after coming out of the ark. That, uh, who's, uh, that whoever killed him by man, by man shall he be killed. So this is, precedes the Mosaic law. It's even that more fundamental. But Jesus says, well, let's look a little deeper. It's not just about the act of actually taking the knife or the gun or whatever it is the, that you're going to use to, to end the life of someone else that God has created. It didn't start there. It started with the anger that you hold in your heart towards the other person, the animosity. It's the fact that you think that other person doesn't deserve to live and you have set yourself up as a judge and you, um, you, uh, now, it is natural to feel angry. It is not wrong. Anger is a natural response to injustice that God has designed into you. But here he says, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, and even if it is with a cause, the rest of the scriptures, Ephesians 4 tells us, don't let the sun go down on it. You need to let it go um, and leave that judgment to God. <clears throat> but uh, here it says, if you're angry without a cause, you deserve the same judgment as a one who actually acted out the intent in the heart in the action. I mean, some people are restrained. I, I would kill that person, but I don't want to go to jail or the executor, whatever, you know, God sees the heart. He already knows your intents, and he, your intents of your heart are already visible to him and matter to him, and you are making moral judgments and decisions by what you allow your heart to breed and what you allow your heart to pursue. That's the level that God's taking things to. I mean, it's not just, you know, do you actually act out the murder? Do you want it in your heart? As he goes on to the, to the next one about adultery, about lust, about the actual breaking of marital covenants and, and, and having relations with someone who's not your wife, you know, well, it starts with what's in your heart. You know, if you're looking on a woman to lust after in your, you've already committed that in your heart. So he's taking it all the way back to, to an area where we can't, we can't curate an image. We can't have a social media image. Or even the people know us. We've got this thing like, you, you know me from the outside. You know what I look like and what I present as the kind of person I am, just like these Pharisees presented this nice religious image with their long tassels and their uh, rabbi and all this talk. Yet in their heart, you know, Jesus judged them for, for what they intended. And God knows our heart. And he goes even deeper there, um, you know, where your broken relationship with the other person, you don't think, don't think you can divorce your worship of God and your relationship with people. You, know, you can't think that, okay, yeah, I've got these problems with these other people, but I'm going to go get close to God and I'm going to, you know, bring, in this case, the highest form of worship was to bring a, a, a sacrifice to the altar and that, that's how I'm going to show my devotion and be in this right relationship with God. God said, don't bother. I won't acknowledge your sacrifice, your gift, your worship, your approaching me, if you still have a broken relationship with this other person, go fix that first and then come and make right with me. Don't try to say, I love God while I hate my brother as, as John elaborates in his, in, his, uh, in his epistle, right? I don't accept that. <clears throat> now, not all, the, uh, Romans makes it more realistic. Romans 12 where he says, in as much as is possible, live at peace with all men. Some people don't want reconciliation and you aren't realistically going to be able to reconcile with everyone, but you need to deal with what's going on in your own heart and you need to do what you can as much as is possible, right? And then it is on the other person's part and then you can come to God with that clean heart where you're not harboring anger, resentment, um, animosity towards another person that 
would eventually maybe result if unfettered in these destructive acts. And he, he gets into, now I think this whole thing about adversary, agree with him quickly, you know, for, lest you go into prison. Uh, sure, I mean, you know, if you're in conflict with someone, it could, you know, result in, you know, lawsuits and, and, and legal things. But I don't think that's what he's really referring to. If we qualify that in Matthew 18, uh, we see that the story that Jesus tells about the person who's forgiven by his Lord an unpayable amount and yet holds on to the small payable amount his fellow servant um, owes him and he's put into prison and he's not going to get out until he pays every last penny as is said here and and so the prison is a prison of unforgiveness because that's really the root of hatred and murder and and all that's going on is I refuse to let go of this injustice. I refuse to let God be the judge. I'm going to be the executor. I'm going to be the ultimate um, the one who needs to see that person pay even though I deserve a higher debt, right? So lots to go on here, but I want to keep moving. Uh, we see with murder, he brings it back to unforgiveness. We see with, with adultery, he brings it back to lust in your heart, where you want things that are not yours, and where he's, he's really uh, extreme in his, his uh, reaction to sexual temptation, where he says, cut it off. You know, even if, you know, you know, however precious it is to you as if it would be your own eye, you've, you cannot mess with that because this could lead to your whole. Um, uh, and, and again, Jesus, the, the one who teaches us grace, the love of God, uh, the, the, the God's uh, willing to, to um, sacrifice all to bring you into sonship and daughtership with him, yet he's the one who speaks about hell. More than anywhere else in the Bible, Jesus is the one who, who comes and warns us in pleading because he does not want to see anyone go to hell. He's saying, be aware. This is the road that will take you there. I don't want you to go there. It's prepared, as he said, for the devil and his angels. But those who are not willing to cut themselves off from the hold of sin will find themselves dragged there. You've got to be merciless. Un, uh, uncompromising. He goes into standards of truth. He goes into, uh, you know, uh, uh, again, this idea of justice here. He revisits, it wasn't enough, what he said last time. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, the Mosaic law that says, you know, if, you know, the just thing is if, you know, your eye got poked out, you get to poke out his eye. If your tooth got poked out, you get to knock out his tooth. That's what makes things fair is the Mosaic law, and he's, he, he takes it again another level. He says, uh, don't resist evil. How in the world, if, if we don't resist evil, will evil not take over the world? How can we be passive and allow evil to flourish? We see that. It, it, it uh, makes us uh, upset. Um, Lot was, had his soul vexed every day as he saw the evil growing in Sodom. And how much more we, when we see the uh, pain and, uh, and, and, and consequences of sexual sin, of of um, you know sexual transitioning and detransitioning and, and child abuse as we we give these children and we say that the solution is to start believing a lie and make that your own truth and and we do horrible things to to families to to uh, to society how can you not want to react to that evil and resist it well First of all, this does seem to be more of a personal evil um, that you're experiencing, but also we see that there is a way to overcome evil with good. Jesus is not teaching passivity. He's not teaching despair. He's not teaching, you know, the Eastern religion of just, you know, say om and be at peace with yourself and let the world be what it is. You don't have any responsibility to change the world. That's not what Jesus is teaching. He's not teaching passivity. 
He's teaching active overcoming of evil by good through loving the en your enemies. And that's hard. That is hard. And, that is, and, and all of this is hard. All of this is impossible for us naturally to respond to injustice with forgiveness, naturally respond to those who, who mistreat us and, and uh, disrespect us. And, uh, uh, but I said, you love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully you and use you and persecute you. It's unnatural to respond to that mistreatment with love for human nature. But what's his answer, verse 45, if you still have your Bibles open, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, because he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It's not natural for you as a human to rise this standard of, of morality where your own heart is pure in its intentions and not corrupted by anger and lust and uh, um, revenge. <clears throat> but it is natural for God. And you need a new nature. You need a divine nature. You need the nature of your heavenly Father to be able to respond to all the temptations and disrespect and evil in the world around you in a divine way because He is good to all. Those who are good to theirs, who like to tribalize and atomize and say, I am only responsible to be good to, you know, this small, limited group of people. Well, I mean, the criminals do the same thing. In this case, he's referring to the publicans, which we said were the, the traitors of, of the people. I mean, mafia is good to the people who are in the mafia. Uh, you know, whatever criminal organization, they're good to theirs and they're tight. And they're loyal. In fact, sometimes people who leave uh, uh, the gangs, you know, they're looking for that same kind of acceptance and tightness and love within God's church. And we need to make sure that we step up to that challenge that this is the place where you are loved and you are, um, people have your back. So, God's nature. Be therefore perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I was intending to cover all three chapters. That's not going to happen in this morning hour. Um, but uh, we see the next chapter, sincere worship. It's not about giving money in front of people. It's about what your Father in Heaven sees as the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. It's not about praying in front of people that people see that you've got this outside worship of God about showing up in church or doing these things. It's about what happens in your closet. That's what God sees and honors. It's not about, in, in your prayer, you know, he gives us a whole model for prayer to come to God in a childlike dependence. Uh, and willing to forgive as we've forgiven. It's not about fasting, you know, and, and it's not about, okay, it's not about being in control of your destiny by having enough money and enough control over your environment that you've got enough laid up and that you can control, you, you, you're, you're, you're ready for every contingency. It's about trusting God so that even if you don't have, you know, uh, uh, the wherewithal for the day, you trust God to provide. In fact, you're rather seek God and His kingdom advancement as opposed to seeking the advancement of your kingdom, small k, where your domain is enhanced, right? Completely different vision, completely contrary to prosperity gospel and what many churches teach. It's about God. And then we go to Matthew 7 where it's not about you judging. Give up. Give it up. You're not the one that people have to answer to. Every one of us has to answer to God. And we better be in humility because we know how short we fall. And we better be gracious to other people. And then he gives us kind of the, the core here in, in Matthew 7, 7. You know, uh, that perfect seven, ask, seek, and knock. 
You're not going to be able to get there on your own. This vision, sure, if, you know, he, he gives that perfect uh, golden rule here, you know, about do to others what you would have them do unto you. You're not going to get there on your own. If you're not depending on God, if you're not allowing his nature to live through you, you're not going to be able to control the anger in your heart, the lust in your, your heart, the, the, uh, the resentment. You're not going to be able to resist the urge to go for the ego versus the hidden, um, true worship of God rather than on the temple, the worship of God in spirit and in truth. We need to be pursuing a personal relationship with God and not allow the forms of religious worship that Jesus is really giving a hard time here because people were trusting in those religious forms as opposed to the relationship with God, right? And we need to be careful today that we don't trust in religious form as opposed to a relationship with God. I think that's what our brother Mickey was trying to say at camp and maybe people kind of got got upset as he might touch certain sacred cows or whatever, we need to make sure we don't lose the principles in our conforming to even godly um, practices. And if we do that, then, you know, then the, the, the gate is narrow. The way other churches, the world, it's broad, it's easy access, anybody can join in, and it looks like it's a good time, but we know where it leads. That's why he's pleading with them. But the way to eternal life, the way to being with God for eternity is narrow, and few there be that find it, which is why I don't think it's realistic. We're going to, to you know, create a Christian nation, and, and, and we want to, to change politics and, and to drive from a top-down, uh, you know, a, a new, uh, you know, a godly society. We need to pursue God on our own, and it's not easy, and not everyone is going to be willing to do that, and we can't expect that, but as we pursue God on our own, then we will be a light. We will be salt. It will have power. It will influence and draw other people to him. And uh, then we will avoid the, the judgment, which, you know, Jesus is very clear at the seven about the people who, who built the house on the sand, you know, this you know, appearance, but no, not founded on truth. You know, those who say, Lord, Lord, we went through all this religious ceremony. You must know us. We did all these things. And he says, I don't know you. Uh, the tree that, you know, looks good but doesn't have the fruit that gets chopped down, all these judgments at the end of seven. So in conclusion, we have a Sermon on the Mount that is radically different, that isn't like the messages you're hearing today, uh, that is about your heart not your actions, the actions follow your heart. And it's about your being connected with God in a way that empowers a radically different and beautiful way of life. That's the only real solution to the cycle of violence and reaction that we see going on in the world today. May the Lord bless his word. I want to thank the Lord and you, brother, for the daunting task of uh, preaching and giving us a view of the whole Sermon on the Mount this morning. It wasn't an easy task, but I think it was necessary to really get the flavor of how radical this Sermon on the Mount was. I think it was a, a shock. I know it was a shock to the people that heard it. They were astonished at his doctrine. It was radical. It was different. Maybe this morning, to you also, there may be a sense of heaviness, a sense of how can I attain? How can I achieve this standard? It's so high. It goes down to the depths of my being, what I think about and, and, and the way I feel to other people and, the, and the, the standard is so high to go two miles. You know, chemotherapy is radical and Surgery is radical, but it's necessary. And this Sermon on the Mount 
is the necessary message to a mankind that is lost and dying that we heard in the prayer would quickly destroy itself, would quickly make each other blind and toothless. The Sermon on the Mount gives us the what, the nature of God's kingdom, how the people in his kingdom behave and how they react and what they do. It doesn't really give us the how. The how is really only found on this side of the cross. Knowing now what we know, what Jesus did for us, that is the how that we do the Sermon on the Mount, that we become the Sermon on the Mount. And that's how the Sermon on the Mount becomes not a source of heaviness and a woe, but a source of light and delight as we see, yes, this is the nature of God's kingdom. It transforms. Let me just read two verses here from Ephesians 5, which I think gives us the how. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ describes walking in love in the truest sense, fulfilling the law, all the law and the prophets in the truest sense. And we are only able to do this now because we see just how much love has been poured out to us through Christ. It's as we look to him that these things become a delight, not some higher version of the law, some, another a version of the Mosaic law to reveal just how much more sin we have. No, no, no. It is the blueprint of people that have been changed by the radical love of Jesus Christ that changed everything. I'm thankful that we could understand that this morning. I pray that God would give us the, the clarity to see when we're not trusting in Jesus to do these things, to, to fulfill the, the Sermon on the Mount, as he calls us to do. Because he concludes it with a very stark parable. The whole Sermon on the Mount ends with a parable that the, the kids learn in Sunday school. The foolish man built his house upon the, the sand. The wise man built his house upon the rock. There's only two alternatives here. It's not a take it, it's not a, can have part of this, can take some of it. Whosoever takes these saying of mine and does them, the beautiful thing this morning hour, we know that we are able to do them through Jesus Christ as we look to him. He will give us the power. Let's ask of him, let's seek from him, let's knock on his door daily. With that, we conclude the service.